0: Hey everyone, we can't wait to get started on this week's show, but first we have to ask, how much sleep did you get last night? Getting enough sleep and waking up on time aren't easy, but it can be. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help. They have the widest selection of America's best-selling brands, and they have beds for every budget, every body, and every body, get it, body? Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and save 10% with the code PODCAST10. That's PODCAST10. And if online shopping isn't your thing, Mattress Firm stores are in your neighborhood. So Better Sleep is right around the corner, literally. Once again, mattressfirm.com slash podcast and save 10% with the code PODCAST10. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So it's been a pretty sad and intense week this week. The Trump administration, not the Democrats, as Donald Trump repeatedly lied, were separating children from their parents at the border, sometimes children as young as nine months old. As a parent myself, with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, I can't even comprehend on any level whatsoever how anyone could do this, on any level of government. And I kept wondering to myself, as this was going on and as America was in an uproar about it, how do the Trump kids feel about this? Ivanka, Eric, Don Jr. all have their own kids. They always post loving pictures of those children on Instagram. They kiss them at night, tell them I love you. They read them books, tuck them into bed, and so on. It's been gut-wrenching to see these pictures of these children, hysterical, lost, confused, and then shipped off into the arteries of America's DHS system. God knows where they're going, if they'll ever see their parents again. Surely, I thought, as I'm sure everyone listening thought, do the Trump kids feel as distraught as we do? So I decided to welcome Emily Jane Fox back to the show. She has a new book out this week called Born Trump Inside America's First Family Emily's going to discuss lots of salacious gossip she discovered while she was reporting this book. And beyond talking about her thoughts on how the kids feel about the immigration policy and what happened this week, we're going to get into some other history about the Trump family. Here's a few little things that caught my eye when I was reading. None of the family expected their dad would ever win the election. Not a single solitary one of of them. That's, I think, probably one thing that we can all agree on with the Trump children. Their dad, Donald J. Trump, used to bring his mistress and his wife on vacations and hide his infidelities from his kids. This all, of course, came to a head when Marla Maples and Ivana bumped into each other on a ski lift, in a, a ski trip that they took, and all hell broke loose. And one of my favorites is that when Donald Sr., Donald Trump, used to send his daughter, Ivanka Trump, newspaper clippings about himself when he was in college. Every week he would send a pile of newspaper clippings to her um, in college, which is just bizarre on more than one level. Oh, and don't forget that the entire Kushner family is now part of the Trump cult. They all wear Ivanka Trump-branded shoes. So we're going to get into talking to Emily in a second. Stay tuned afterwards. I'm going to sit down with John Kelly, who is going to be welcome back to the show, to talk about a story I'm publishing this week about what Russia is planning for the 2018 and 2020 elections. Be warned, though, it's some scary, scary shit. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time from your crazy schedule. I think you're running around from one TV show to another. Uh, tweeting and writing and doing all those things. Um, uh, let's jump right into it. So your book came out this week. congratulations born Trump. Thank it's you. a salacious, yeah. amazing read. Um, I, we're gonna get to the book in a second but I have the first question I have is the question that everyone has is does Ivanka Trump care about children being ripped from their parents' arms, even children as young as nine months old? Or does she see this as just a kind of a, a way to get her name out there uh, as someone who's pretending that they care?
1: I think that any human being cares about this. This is the problem with what has been going on, is that this is so universally horrible. So yes, I think Ivanka Trump does care that this is happening. And yet, she didn't care enough to go against her father. And this gets into you know, what, the, what the book is really about, and it's that toxic complicated twisted relationship that all of the children have with their father and it keeps people you know people who are senior staffers in the white house people who are executives at at, at major companies from being able to talk about things that are so obviously wrong because they refuse to go against their father
0: Do you think that so? Okay, so there was there was stories that came out, and I, I, I we're not going to press on this for too long, but it's just something that's yep. been on my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people's mind. There were stories that came out uh, right after Trump signed the um, uh, the executive order, which early incidentally earlier in the week he said he couldn't sign an executive order, but uh, sure. saying that they were no longer going to separate children from their parents, and and almost like a, somebody I just wouldn't know who in the White House uh, had said had reached out to CNN and NPR, and of course on background told them that it was Ivanka Trump who uh, had made uh, his, her daddy uh, sign those documents. Do you think that that is true, or do you think that she is just taking um, credit for something because she doesn't? She wants to be perceived as the person who does care?
1: It's an amazing thing with Ivanka, and we've seen this time and time again. I've, I have personally been on, on the other end of it, uh, where any time a controversial thing happens in the White House, uh, and it, it tends to go in a more moderate way, there's always a story out there that says, you know, Ivanka was quietly behind the scenes doing X, Y, or Z. And it is very possible that Ivanka brought it up with her father. But here's the thing. When, when she first last month posted a photo of her hugging her young son and it happened to be the same weekend that all of this was starting at the border. She got a lot of heat and I asked people who are close to her, very very close around her, like why is she doing this again? She's, she's done this several times before where she's posted things that are so uh, off color um, and she the, the response that I got back was she wasn't fully aware of what was going on when she posted it and she feels badly about it now. So this is, this was weeks ago. So I am just very confused as to why it took weeks for her to sit down. She didn't sit down with her father, according to those reports until this Tuesday. So if she knew about it back several weeks ago, after she, you know, she, she was feeling badly for posting that, that photo, why did it take her weeks to sit down and voice her opinion with her father?
0: And the other thing is that, the, actually, my wife pointed out last night, the whole the whole brouhaha around this arguably started, and it beca- and actually came into the public consciousness because Samantha B called her yes. out for this and called her a word that I would get in trouble for saying on yeah. anything. Uh, yes. and then had to apologize. It, I mean, it was it was really that interaction that brought this to the to the to the fore anyway. I mean it's so totally it's
1: it's just ridiculous that it, it took until she was basically called out for weeks and weeks and weeks for her to sit down and show her father photos of something that presumably is someone who is such a voracious consumer of news, he has seen these photos many, many times before. So even if she did sit down with him and show him the photos and say, Dad, this is wrong, which I'm sure she did, like that – showing him photos is not going to be the thing that convinces him. And it, that it came from Ivanka. That's not why this happened. There was so much political pressure. It was unquestionably a bad political move, and, and it did not have anything to do with Ivanka. That's, that's my sense.
0: So we're going to call bullshit on this? I'm calling bullshit.
1: I'm, I'm going I'm to be there with you
0: all right great all right so let's jump into your book so you have written a book about uh the first family uh that is just fascinating um let's give the listeners i almost said readers but let's give the listeners <laughs> some of you, I, I give give them some of your like more salacious stories let's start off with ivanka like what was some of the crazy stories that you learned uh when reporting this book
1: So the best part about reporting this book, especially when it comes to Ivanka, is she is someone who is so scripted and so on message and has been in the press since she was born. And so there's this whole narrative out there uh, of Ivanka that she has very carefully crafted. And the narrative goes something like this. I'm a daddy's girl. I worked really hard in school. I was a model, yes, but it was only a means to an end. I, I always knew I was going to be in business. I always knew I was going to work for the Trump organization. I never did drugs. I never partied. I wasn't like Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton was, you know, a product of someone who really cared about being famous. And that was never me. I never really wanted to be on The Apprentice, but I, I thought it was great marketing for my family. And that's, that's the Ivanka that Ivanka wants you to know. So the best part about this. Was, was learning the Ivanka she didn't want you to know. And I actually think that that Ivanka is way cooler, way better, uh, had a, a bit of a rebellious period in her teens and early 20s, and some of the favorite things that I found out from former classmates of hers or friends of hers at that time um, were some of the, the the rebellious things that she did. So, for instance, she was at a very fancy private school in uh, Manhattan and before she got essentially kicked out and she was in a third floor classroom with one of her friends and the school borders on a park and there's a hot dog vendor at the border of the park and so she and her classmates saw the hot dog vendor and out of the school window lifted her shirt up and flashed the hot dog vendor and I don't think that that is exactly the Ivanka that she likes to to portray um she was a chain smoker she was someone who you know Dabbled, did, she, did she go tri-tri-trux? through like a,
0: a, a did she go through like a goth phase or anything like that or was it always I mean, kind I mean, of a preppy? She
1: said that she went through a goth phase. I asked a million people this question and no one remembered that there was a period of time in, when she was in boarding school that she dyed her hair brown and surprised people on campus. But I think it was for a modeling job and she went back to visit New York uh, and stopped by her father's office and her dad was like, um, "No, you need to dye your hair back blonde immediately."
0: So one of the things that's um, a through line through the, the Trump, you know, Trump and his dad and, and so on, and I'm talking about Donald Trump and his father, uh, Fred, yeah. uh, I, once, um, I once ran into someone who grew up with, um, with Donald uh, Trump, and I said, did you ever know his dad, Fred? And he said, oh my God, he said, and these were the words exactly, he said, Fred Trump and this was a very successful person who was telling me this, who has spent a lot of time with very, very influential people. And he said, mm-hmm. Fred Trump was the meanest motherfucker I've ever met in my life. And he said yeah. he treated his son in a way that you just couldn't even comprehend. Um, yeah. And it, the stories I've heard and, and, and um, that, that Donald Trump is like that with his sons too. Was he ever like that with Ivanka? It, it
1: sometimes... I mean, besides often commenting on her physical appearances and ways that she could look better, no, uh, he, he's tough on her, and he, he would sometimes say like, "I could fire you if I wanted to." Uh, there's one story in my book when she was 15 and wanted to get into modeling, he started suggesting to people around her that she should get a a boob job in order. He started to kick suggesting start her modeling that his career.
0: own daughter should get a brute boob job.
1: At 15. She was 15 <laughs> years old. <laughs> Did- he also sorry, was sorry, very upset around laugh. the same time. I know I, I, it's horrifying, so I'm glad you're laughing and not crying. Uh, if there was one point also, this is like when Paris Hilton was at the height of her fame. She was she had a simple life. She was you know, on every banquette at every nightclub and in, in all of the world. And he was almost jealous of Paris Hilton because he wanted his daughter to have that level of fame or infamy or whatever it was. And so there was a lot of pressure on Ivanka to be a certain kind of person and, and to be famous on his behalf because he thought that that fame would reflect back on him but the way he treats his sons is markedly different there's a, there's one story in the book it's actually from the campaign so this is not just from when they were children um that that he got invited by a governor this is this is senior don senior um he got in, invited to go on some hunting trip by a governor and don junior was in the room and donald was like i'm not going hunting there's no way that i'm doing that but don jr you can go you can finally be useful for me
0: nice classy. It's,
1: just, it's 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 unbelievable but i will say it's not exclusive to his children um and it's not exclusive to donald uh, ivana their their mother um like spanked them all the time as children that was her form of punishment it wasn't the sort of verbal abuse from their father but it was Spanking them to keep them in line. And and Donald speaks to everybody poorly. He spoke, the way he spoke to Marla, there are some stories in my book about the way he would talk to her in front of other people that made me sick to my stomach. Um, One.
0: What's an example?
1: Business. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example. One business associate was down at Mar-a-Lago with the two of them. I don't think they were even married yet. Um, And Marla was, when they met, she was trying to get into acting. And after they met, she was. Still trying to get into acting, and she decided she wanted to lose weight. She thought that that would be a, an easier way in, and she lost a good amount of weight in her chest. And he took that as a personal affront. He was like personally offended that she that her chest size was smaller, and so he was at dinner with with two other people and Marla, and he leaned into the business associate and said, "Doesn't Marla look terrible? Doesn't she just look awful?" And was right there listening to this whole thing. And the business associate was stunned and said, um, well, Donald, I think she looks beautiful. And I think you're very lucky to be with her. And Donald's was like, come on, man, you can tell me she, she looks terrible. Doesn't she just look terrible? And that's, that's the way he talks to people.
0: He that's looks, the- who he
1: supposedly loves the people who are closest to him. This is a woman he had a child with who he married and was married to for, for almost four years.
0: So a couple of years ago, there was a story of um, of Donald. Uh, there was a story I read where there was a suitcase found with filled with a bunch of um, photos uh, of families, you know, the family photos of Donald Trump and Ivanka and and I, I forget which wife. But they were at a garage sale, and a woman bought the suitcase and found them all inside. And of the photos, there were moments where Donald Trump was actually being. A you know, appeared to be a happy father. He was changing Ivanka's diaper. He was laying on the bed with her, playing with her in a small hotel room. Um, Was there ever a moment? And I've said you know before to you, like that when when you have kids, you you really change physiologically as a human being. It has a massive impact on who you are and what's important. Was there ever a photo, a, a moment for Donald Trump when he had kids where? He became less important for for that brief second, or was it always just they were an extension of who he was? There
1: was there was just never that moment. From for all of my reporting, I, I did not see any kind of indication. I'm actually shocked that he changed a diaper ever. I'm shocked. Yes, yeah, I that am too. Did. Believe me. Um, I I like I I can't even tell you how many times it came up. They reported that he didn't change diapers, so I'm very glad that he changed at least one in front of a camera. But I will say these are two – both Donald and Ivana are two people who did not change their lives to fit their children. They had their children fit into their lives. So they continued to work exactly as they wanted to work. They went out almost every single night. They traveled as they wanted to travel. They kept their apartment. They had, you know, white couches in their apartment, very expensive Glass animals around the house on, on on around the house on glass shelves, glass chandeliers, crystal this, crystal that. This is not an environment, and uh, these were not relationships that were shaped by children. And it's not like there was just one kid either. You know, it's it's easier when you have one kid to kind of keep your life. There are three children, and they all very much had to fit into what was going on with their parents' lives. Now, it was made easier because they had two full-time nannies, and Ivana's parents were around. So they were kind of able to be um, the people, the, the parents were able to be the people that they were before children because they had essentially other people raising their kids.
0: When when you look at, at Donald Sr., um, he clearly, you know, I, I don't think you'd find even people on the right, I would probably agree to a certain degree. He's clearly a, um, a narcissist with some major mental problems you know, pertaining to kind of how he sees the world and um, his kind of own reality distortion field. Do any of the children have that too, or are they just playing the game and doing a pretty good job at it?
1: I think that they're all 2.0 versions of that, and, and, and also their father is farther along in life, so who knows how they could evolve. I think they have a clearer picture of reality, but there are some things that they do. Like This week is a perfect example of Ivanka kind of drawing her own world around her, the way that her father draws the own world. But like I I talked to people this week, earlier this week, who are still advisors to her, people she leans on, and I said to them, like, how could she not say anything? How could she be silent about the, what's going on at the border? And they said to me, you know, she reached out and said, should I say something? And they're all like, how could you not say something? And she still chose not to. And so world in which she kind of lives in a, a different reality um but but the the whole almost organizing principle of my book is that each of these children are sort of these mini vultrons that each possess qualities of their of of their father and so they are very similar to their father in in some way
0: when you look at donnie junior um there yeah. are lots of stories of of his you know, of Donald Sr. being a total asshole to him, um, of them not getting along, um, of of Donald Sr. treating Donnie Jr. in the, sa- the same way that Fred Trump treated his son. Um, is there, you know, he, over the, the last couple of years, as, as, as Donnie Jr. has gotten into the limelight in the way he has um, and become kind of staunchly conservative and, um, and pro-NRA and all these things that he, he he talks about so much, is there a part of him and I suspect this is the case, but maybe I'm completely wrong and just hope, hopeful. Is there a part of him that's actually a good guy who really does care about other people and things um, that are important to care about and that he's just trying to please his dad? Or is he kind of just the douchebag that he comes across as?
1: I think that there's more to him than, than just that um, a very unpleasant side. Um, he, is, he is a good father. He works really hard. He has friends who really think he's a a nice guy. He's a, he's pretty good at his job. Um, He had a, a, I, you know, a part of me is sympathetic to him and I hate to even say it, but he was 12 years old when he watched his father and mother basically split up because another woman came up there on on a mountain in Aspen and he didn't talk to his dad for a year and held on to a lot of resentment over the divorce for, for years. And so the, the, the unsavory side of Don Jr., when you read the book or when I did the research for, for the book, it's sort of understandable given what he saw as a child. So I have a, a bit more sympathy for it, but it,
0: you know, it's a big part of who he is.
1: And I think that, that, that politics has hardened that
0: too. All right. So, so, so I know you only have a few minutes left because you've got to run off to yes. uh, a, a, less imp- a way less important interview. But um,
1: Far less uh, than the highlight of my, my
0: month. Yes. Uh, give us a couple of – I have a couple last questions for you. Give us a couple of uh, anecdotes about, about good old Donnie Jr. from, uh, from the book.
1: Oh, Donnie Jr.? Um, so uh, one of my favorite stories from when he was in college is he was on spring break in Jamaica, And by the way, his father could not understand why he would ever want to go to Jamaica when he could just go down to Mar-a-Lago. And it's a place that has basically <laughs> his, his name all over it. Um, so he went to, to Mar-a-Lago, and it was in the middle of March Madness. And Penn had actually made the tournament that year, which is shocking as a former um, Penn girl myself. And uh, they were watching in a bar in Jamaica, and they were playing against, I think it was Florida State. And... Obviously, Penn lost in the first round, and Don Jr. was completely wasted, got up on the bar. There were some Florida State students in the bar as well. It happened to be in, in Jamaica for spring break. And he started chanting and tried to get everyone to join in. The chant was, that's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday, which is just <laughs> oh, <my God>. charming. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, so, all right. He's, he's uh, always
1: been, been that way.
0: Classy, and uh, and give us one more before we before we move on to, to Eric.
1: Oh, oh, sure. So you know um, his nickname in college, right?
0: No, Don, Don Junior's nickname?
1: Diaper Don.
0: What was it? Because Diaper get, Don. That's Diaper Don.
1: Yeah, he would get so drunk and pass out in in a bed, whether it was his bed or someone else's, and just pee in his pants, pee in his pants, in someone's bed. So they they nicknamed him Diaper Don.
0: That's amazing. Uh, if I ever mm-hmm. meet him in person I will I will introduce myself and say hey what's up Diaper Don. Um, <laughs> all right give, give us a brief uh, uh, a brief uh, I'll give you, a you quick know, overview story. on Eric. Okay
1: so yeah. when Eric was about 6 years old he was in preschool and um, a former teacher recounted this moment to me. He, everyone was being asked to clean up. They had these mats. They were like some sort of gym class, dance class or something like that. And the teacher said, OK, everyone clean up their mats, fold them and put them in a pile. All the other kids did it. And Eric was kind of just standing there, baffled, looking around like, what do I do? And the teacher was like, Eric, can you clean up like the rest of the ki- children? And he looked at the teacher dead in the eye and said, you're a bitch. <laughs>
0: He was six. How old was he? Six. How old? Six. six. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder where he got that language from. Um, I, the, the teacher was uh, like,
1: I, you can't even blame the child. You, you have to blame the parent.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, of course. You, yeah, you, that, yeah. That, that, that is definitely a bad thing. <laughs> which which would be any normal uh,
1: parent's worst nightmare, but I doubt it was their their parents.
0: I'm sure Donald Sr. was quite proud of her son for, for saying she something like that. gave him a handshake. Wait. Yeah. When you look at um, uh, when you look at the the kids, uh, barring the fact that you know Donald Trump doesn't end up becoming a dictator in America and we have to stick with him until he dies, and then he puts one of his children in place, which is a, a real possibility, um, uh, barring that fact, uh, when you look at the kids, do you think that they will go on to be you know very successful politicians? I mean, Ivanka said that she wants to run for. Um, for office one day, uh, uh, for president one day, um, you know, do you think that they'll be able to pull that off?
1: I really think it depends on what happens next in our political landscape. I think they are so inextricably tied to their father that if their father, you know, makes it out and uh, doesn't get indicted and, and everything's okay, and he went to reelection election and goes out with a high approval rating, then the world, their political world is their oyster or the business world is their oyster. Their you know, their entire livelihood has always depended on their father and, and now more so than ever. So if he goes down in flames, then I think they're going down in flames too. All
0: right, so last question. Um, if yeah. you had to pick one of them uh, to be the next president, uh, and you had no choice, it had to be a Trump, which one would it be?
1: Eric. No question, no hesitation. Why, Eric? The general consensus among everyone who I interviewed for the book was that Eric is very smart, despite the parodies that we see of him as being the, the dumb one, that he's very smart, very logical, uh, someone who thinks about every little detail and is very careful. And he's actually. You know, this is all relative within a lot, but he's like, like the most charitable of all of them. And so my my vote would be squarely with Eric Fier. do
0: Who you, do you, would you well, choose? Why doesn't someone like – but why doesn't someone, if I had to choose one of them? Oh yeah. Oh, God. I go, I'd, I'd go with Tiffany. She's, I, she seems like uh, she could do the least amount of harm uh, if the okay, White House would fair. become like a little party house. Um, uh, why is it if, – if you if, if you hear all these things about Eric that he's a good guy, he's smart and so on, why is it that he doesn't stand – he's got kids. Why doesn't he stand up to his father with this immigration stuff and speak out?
1: Um, I don't know that he doesn't, but I also know that he tries to stay out of this more than all of them do. He's tried to stay out of everything more. He's He actually is like a fairly private guy. Uh, He, I don't think he has political aspirations, and so he may stand up to his father, but he would never want that out there like Ivanka would. That's the difference.
0: All right. So, sorry, I have one last, last question. Um, I have, I have siblings, um, and we argue uh, and we get along and things like that, as all siblings do. Do these guys all get along? Uh, Do they love each other? Do they, you know, text each other? Do they have fun? On weekends and Thanksgiving or is it just uh, um, you know Trump land and uh, and all about pleasing daddy
1: I think it's both Um, I think that they have a very unique sibling relationship where until Ivanka moved to Washington they all had a weekly lunch date together at Trump Grill Uh, there's one story in my book which is like super weird but they were um, in Don Jr.'s office, and all of a sudden, they just both wrestled Ivanka to the ground and started tickling her. Um, this is like when they're in their 20s <laughs> in a professional setting, um, but but this was it, these are these are people who are actual siblings. They vacation together at, at Mar a Lago and in Bedminster, and they do have a, a nice bond. But as with all things Trumpian, it's sort of also a business arrangement and agreement. So. It's, it's kind of hard to separate the, the two when you talk about the family in general.
0: Well, I hope that um uh um everyone reads the book It Is Born Trump Inside America's First Family. Emily, thank you so much. I I, uh, I had someone on who had written the biography of Donald Trump I think in like 84 or something like that uh um earlier this year and I said how do you think that uh Donald Trump will be remembered decades from now and he said as a grifter uh the whole family wow. will be. So it will be it will be interesting to see Uh, to see what happens uh, 20 20 years from now stay tuned tuned. thank you so much i really appreciate it
1: thank you so much for
0: having me you're listening to inside the hive with nick bilton everyone has a daily ritual for some people it's the same coffee every day for others it's the same walk to work for me at the end of my day it's a crisp deep glass of whiskey Before bed each night, I pour a little shot of Buffalo Trace in a pickle jar glass, drop a single ice cube in there, and sip it slowly without looking at my phone once. Buffalo Trace's deep amber whiskey has a complex aroma of vanilla, mint, and molasses, pleasantly sweet to the taste with notes of brown sugar and spice that give way to oak, toffee, dark fruit, and anise. It's so delicious. The whiskey finishes long and smooth with serious depth. It's a great way to end your day and think about what you want tomorrow to bring. Buffalo Trace is bourbon that you can drink neat on the rocks or in cocktails like in the Manhattan Old Fashioned. You can even use it to marinate a steak, which is what I did this week, and it was the most delicious thing I think I've ever eaten ever in my entire life. Buffalo Trace marinated steak with a shot of buffalo whiskey is just mmm. It's an award-winning whiskey. Buffalo Trace is a leading premier brand made in the legendary 200-year-old Buffalo Trace distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery. Most recently, Buffalo Trace distillery won Whiskey Magazine 2018 Distillery of the Year honor. They have a great social media presence. Uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon can be found on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Check them out. Try the whiskey. It's phenomenal. And if you don't mind, I'm now going to go off and make myself a nice Buffalo Trace whiskey. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. We are switching gears and guests. Welcome, John Kelly. We haven't seen you or heard from you in uh, in news terms, maybe like seven millennia. In actual real terms, a couple of weeks. Um, I, I'm going to start straight away with a question that I'm curious what you think. Do you think all of this immigration stuff, these pictures of these kids – um, being torn from their parents, that that poor little girl in the, in the red shirt at the border that everyone has seen 5,000 times over and can't get out of their head because it's so sad. Do you think these things will come back and bite not only the Republicans, but Donald Trump in the ass in 2018 and 2020? Or is it actually going to boost his base? You know, one thing that I think I'm learning um,
2: about... The way politics works now, uh, vis-a-vis technology. This is a very Nick Bilton point, so I'm happy to make it to Nick Bilton. Is that the imagery of this is disgusting? It's sickening. It's heartbreaking. um, That Time magazine cover. I think uh, you know it's it's hard for magazine covers to break through these days, but my God, that seems like I'm I'm seeing that everywhere in my social feeds. um, The one of of the young girl uh, confronting Trump. That is going to play massively to an audience, and a certain audience will see it over and over again and be galvanized by it. It seems like in our political world we live in now, there's got to be a sophisticated enough algorithm that serves that imagery to the audience that needs to see it, you know, to the audience that either thinks it's fake news or to the audience that watches Laura Ingram as I did the other night, and hears her with a straight face talk about how fencing in toddlers is just a more efficient way to use taxpayer dollars uh, to, to deal with them at the border. Um, it's just crazy, sickening, revolting, uh, horrifying, uh, bullshit. So it, in, in, um, in general terms, I, I think that the people for whom the, the sentient world for whom, uh, w- w- that has, that has a heart will find it disgraceful and harrowing and, and, and will motivate them to, to, to vote. I, I do think it will still resonate in months. Um, uh, but I think that it probably will be a blip on the radar of people who do deeply believe in MAGA and Trump, and who by that time will have moved on to to um, uh, to a new battle, and you know whether they have Nancy Pelosi in their crosshairs or, or or God knows what else.
0: Well, it's interesting. I actually texted with a couple of people I know that are Republicans, and look, it was two people, so take it for what it's worth. And I said, "Do you really? Are you really behind this?" And both of them said, "No." That they were vehemently behind it. That they do believe in, you know, in building a wall and a border and this, that, and the other. But they think that these actions uh, were sickening. And one person actually said to me, "I feel like a person without a party right now. Uh, I don't feel Republican. I think the things that they're doing are are not the Republican ideals." And we've seen a few people leave and so on. And I don't think I mean it's what's so utterly fascinating to me is if you look at the polls. They're, they're higher this week than they have been in the last few weeks. It's like it, there's – I mean nothing really changes anything as far as Trump is concerned. You, you, you As that same famous saying he said, he could walk on a 5th Avenue and shoot someone, uh, is still true today. He could tear children from people, from parents as young as nine months old, and, and people would still vote for him. And I think that um, – I, I, what I wonder is, and I think you're right, but I, what I wonder is, is there were 91 million what 91 million eligible voters that did not vote in the election that were either stuck at work or too pathetic or didn't think it was important or hated Hillary and Trump. But I wonder if those people, if even a tiny, tiny percentage of those people, will change their mind in the coming elections. Well, a lot of uh, them are are the probably women. Seen. I think that that
2: that that you're, you're keying into a um, into a core uh, a demo, which is the, the sort of suburban, uh, you know, soccer mom category that people thought would 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 go for Hillary and, and did not, uh, and went surprisingly for Trump. It's very hard to into it. Um, uh, you know, like w- w- what quite happened there, other than 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 years of of, of subtle discontent uh, toward Hillary, but but th- this does seem like a galvanizing force. But but again, like, can you know, do those people consume their news in places where they're going to see this? Will it make it in their Facebook feeds? Are they watching MSNBC? Are they watching the shows where where the political advertising that's going to show this content is going to be? Um, And uh, I feel like tailored algorithms
0: are going to be what um, what make the difference. So, speaking of algorithms, I have a piece coming out in uh, in Vanity Fair. Uh, You want to you want should we should we jump right into the scariest uh, story I've worked on in months? Yeah, let's do it. So, I was in Washington D.C. I've been there quite a bit lately, and. Uh, And have been talking to researchers and security experts and former federal officials and even some current officials about what Russia is planning for 2018. And there's some pretty scary stuff out there. You know, uh, the things that I've been hearing are that they are um, whatever they're planning, they have been planning. And so it is expertly ready to go uh, uh, and that we will see in 2018 a lot of things that are kind of test beds for 2020, including more of the social media stuff that we've seen in the past, but maybe maybe better, more bots, but but smarter. Um, hacking into voter registration booths, more hacking into opponents' emails and releasing that information. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff uh, going on that I think um, uh, that's going to be pretty scary. And then also, you know, some of the things I've heard are, are just kind of just downright crazy – but possibly could happen, you know. Things like imagine if the Russians decided on election day to hack ride-sharing services and uh, uh, and make it so people couldn't actually get to the polls, or to create disturbances on ways so you you can't get there, or whatever it is. There are things that people are thinking about and exploring that are um, that are pretty terrifying. And of course, the only person that can stop this is the one person that has no desire to stop this, which is Donald Trump. Right. I
2: mean, yeah. last last week, Nick, you and you and Robbie Mook were talking a lot about sowing discord in, um, in in the system, and, and of course, that is the name of the, the game for the Russians. It, it's all that Trump tries to do because when, when he gets into trouble, he just throws another sort of discord bomb um, uh, afterwards. But one thing that I've um, one sense that I've gotten is that the the Russian operatives they they just want to fuck with us. Like, obviously, oh, they, yes. they they did it at the highest level w- with Trump. But, but that doesn't mean that they're not above trying to, to, to fuck with us at, at, a, at a peculiar different level that will like um, be, be a head turning thing that will
0: just spin us off our axis no that's completely 1,000 percent true I think that uh, that's been the kind of realization of this one through line that has has, has come through my reporting it's, it's not that they want Donald Trump in power because they're gonna have you know a better relationship with him and and it's gonna be better for Russia's You know, trade, their economy, their, you know, internet service provider, whatever. It doesn't—none of that matters. What they want to do and what Putin wants to do is show that democracy doesn't work in the same way that—we showed that communism didn't work. And he wants to to just sow discord and chaos into this country— And one thing I asked, I interviewed Andrew Weiss from uh, um, uh, the Carnegie Initiative, and he was a former Clinton and Bush uh, advisor on Russia and Estonia and places like that. And and I said to him, you know, did Russia create this mess or was it already there and they just allowed it to happen? And he said, you know, there's a great... Napoleon quote: of uh, if if your enemy is making a mistake, don't stop them." And and they have just kind of poured fuel on the fire. In fact, they've probably taken a little bit further and 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 um, sprayed a flamethrower on the on the fire. But they are trying to their best to to push both sides to get anyone in office that is going to make this country more divisive with the hope, I think, that we eventually become so divided that, that we can't be put back together again. This is Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. If you've ever had a professional shave from the barbershop, you know it can change not only how you look but also how you feel. Not only do you have great smooth skin but also the confidence of knowing that you look great now you can get that same barbershop feeling at home with the one blade razor i've been trying them out and they are literally like the porsches of razors they are stunningly designed beautifully engineered german stainless steel they feel like something out of the future quite frankly Uh, one blade will give you the best shave of your life with no razor burn or ingrowing hairs It's a razor that you will actually probably keep for many, many, many years and hand out through many generations, and it will survive all of that. And every one-blade razor is backed by a full 60-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. So if you're ready to have the best shave of your life, visit OneBladeShave.com slash Hive. Once again, that's OneBladeShave.com slash Hive. Try it. Give it some time. If you don't love it, send it back, but I guarantee you will. Once again, OneBladeShave.com slash Hive. So what are they doing right now?
2: If you were, um, uh, in your estimation, based on your reporting, what are the sort of, what sorts of things do we expect they're doing? Are they hacking voting machinery, um, or voting software? Are they looking for a way into Uber's, uh, you know, cloud storage? Um, what do you, you know, are, are they messing with like the New Hampshire Lotto? What, what do you think?
0: They are drinking lots of vodka. Um, I think that they are all of the above. I think that you know what you're going to see is if okay. Look, so if you wanted to disrupt the election four months from now. Uh, on, you know, with, with Facebook ads and things like that, then you are going to, uh, you're not going to show up a day, be, the day before the election and, and start a, a, a fake page of a fake group and start buying ads. You're going to start doing it months, if not a year or so in, in, in advance. And I think that there are definitely f- pages on Facebook that, uh, will be used against us to, 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 you know, drive more divide it happened this week in social media there was a report um this week that uh that the russians were out there trying to influence both sides of the immigration debate uh with these kids some saying like you know screw these kids they shouldn't come into our country on twitter and others saying like oh these poor children they don't carry the way they They just just want want us to start yeah they just want us to fight and it's the same the same ideology behind everything trump does um You know, one person said to me that if there's one thing Russia and the Democrats agree on, it's that – Uh, that Donald Trump is not a very bright person and only really cares about himself. There is literally nothing in the universe that he cares more about. And as a result of those things, he wants to undermine anything that will get in the way of him and his own ego, including the media, including the FBI, Mueller, institutions that make America what it is, with no regard for the repercussions of that other than how he looks. Um, And I think that Russia is completely aware of that. Other things that I think they're doing are... You know, it's you can, there's reports out there. uh, There was an instance at DEF CON, the hacker conference last year, where uh, hackers broke into a wirelessly broke into a voting booth in 90 minutes uh, and changed results, as an example. There are lots of reports over the years of of software being found on voting booths years after they've been used. Um, A lot of these used very unsafe, unupdated traditional software like windows xp and things like that so i think that that's going to happen one of the things that robbie mook said to me which i thought was really fascinating is that it's not just the voting booths that we have to worry about but there's layers like layers and layers and layers of things that could be hacked and affected from the fact that you know when you go to uh to vote you have to point your name out on on the e-poll books and what if somebody changes those that are printed out the day before the election? Uh, another example is everything is reliant upon the reporting uh, that comes from these voting booths um, uh, that then go to these reporting structures that then go to AP and 538 and CNN and and then you have you know Jake Tapper and people like that that are saying you know this person won this county and this person won this state and and so on. And now, what would happen if? The Russians hacked into that system and were caught and discovered. They'd be quite happy with that. Uh, And then it turns out, oh, well, Trump didn't win this, or the Republicans didn't win that. Uh, And um, it turns out it was the Democrats or vice versa. What better gift for Trump to say that the whole thing's a scam and I should be in power for 16 years, not anyone else?
2: So in the movie version of this, a bunch of um, egghead quants uh, in Menlo Park would get together and say, you know what, only we have the tools— Working with, you know, some nonpartisan uh, political organization to ensure that, um, to the best of our abilities, we can we can at least like po- police this um, in a way that we're not. And I mean, maybe they're asking for federal subsidies to do that. Although it's kind of hard for companies that make like thirty billion dollars a quarter um, to ask for for federal grants. But um, but I think the one of the, the sticking points that you and I often have when we talk about this is. Um, that the response from um, from the Silicon Valley platforms that, that are abused f- to facilitate this kind of um, interference, it, the response is often to throw their hands up, um, uh, you know, post-mortem apologies. Um, but if we know this stuff is happening now, and I'm sure they're doing things beneath the surface, no question, and, and, and we hear things all the time about what, um, what uh, people are kind of accuse and assume that they're doing, what like on a tangible level and a realistic level? What could Facebook and Twitter be doing that they're and Google be doing that they're not doing now?
0: Well, I think Twitter, for one thing, is never going to do the thing that they should be doing. Uh, Would just which kick is them off sh- the platform. Which is to shut themselves down and save save the universe from uh, uh, from what we're all going through. Um, uh, I say that half jokingly, half serious. Um, I I think that you know. They should be. They should be really spending every effort they can at Twitter, and we'll just go to Twitter for a second, uh, talking about the um, the bot problem. Um, these bots are smart, and they're becoming smarter, and they are fully aware of what um, what is happening. Um, uh, you know. That the bots are have better photos and better bios, and they're able to to you know use machine learning to, to respond to things in certain ways and, and appear real. And and um, however, you go look at real Donald Trump's Twitter and the the most the recent hundred people that followed him or the recent hundred replies to his tweets and. Fifty percent, sixty percent are bots, and it's so obvious from from mine and your eyes, and yet Twitter does nothing. They should literally. I said to a, a Twitter investor last week, like, why do they do nothing? Is it that Jack Dorsey doesn't care, or is it that they are they can't fix it? And the person responded, I honestly, truly don't know. There is, it's not that they can't fix it. I don't believe that Jack doesn't care. I just don't know. But it 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 kills this person. They said it kills me, and um, and I think that it would be very Easy to come up with solutions on that platform. One other thing, just as an aside, like one thing that people forget is, you know, if you and I are fighting and arguing. Right. Uh, about Which we would something. never do. Yeah, no, Which we would never do. But let's just pretend that we're arguing over our favorite whiskey. Uh, and, uh, and it turns into a real debate or over the immigration policy whatever. Someone's going to come up to us. John Holmes is going to come up to us and say, hey, guys, I'm friends with both of you. Let me help. Let, let's figure this out. You guys are friends. You don't need to fight like this. And we would talk. Why the fuck can't social media do that? If they, they're, if they can, if they can build an algorithm which I could probably do with my novice coding skills, that says, "Oh, this person and this person are, are going back and forth and arguing. They're they're both mutually friends with this person. Right. Let's send that person an alert to go talk to them." Like, imagine if they did something as simple as that. It you would know, just change everything.
2: You're right. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about what what Homans would say to both of us. Um, it might not be that diplomatic, but uh, I, I definitely. <laughs> I'm okay with people hating each other. Like, life is what it is. That's okay. What I'm not okay with is is um, is abdicating responsibility. And I feel like that is um, it is very hard, just from the perspective of a citizen. Uh, and you get this in the story. I'm I'm really excited that we're gonna be able to publish it uh, probably tomorrow uh, when people are listening to this podcast. That this is happening right now. And that there's something less than like 1,000% maximum effort to stop it. I think that is um, – I think that's very frustrating. But but I, I won't believe it. No. I wanted to actually ask you, Nick, about something else that, that's, that happened this week um, uh, that has nothing to do with fake news. Um, Disney is going to pay like $72 billion for the film and TV assets among other um, uh, parts of 21st Century Fox uh, – Bob Iger
0: has been on the show, who's the first guest on on the show, and, and you interviewed him at you the know summit. It's, you know what's uh, great? It was a, a one year ago last week that he came on. That was our first podcast. Oh, is that right? Well, happy anniversary, Nick. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, what's your
2: sense here? Do you think that after originally bidding like $52 billion, I mean they're certainly paying a premium now after Comcast uh, made it a competitive bid, do you think that Disney feels it's um, – it's worth it that, that that the assets are worth it, or do you think Disney feels as though they absolutely need to um, to vertically integrate these properties in order to compete for what I guess is now known as super scale, right, or or, or you know that they're, that they're currently a subscale company.
0: You know, I think that um, I think that the, the the media land. One of the things that I you know I always remember Bob saying to me in that first interview uh, when I was just a novice podcaster uh, was that the the way this that the media landscape was changing. It was it was changing dramatically and quickly. And, and the thing that, that he and Disney needed to do was to do the same thing. And and he you know he had a, a really smart point, which was um, you know Pixar makes one movie a year. That's it. It's one movie. But it makes right. hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And his point was that great content, if it's really, really good, which Pixar's content almost 99% of the yeah, time sure. is, uh, will people will, will pay to see it. And they'll go you know, they'll go to the theaters, and they'll download it, and they'll buy the DVDs, and this, that, and the other. And I think what he realizes is, is with Lucasfilms and Pixar and all these brands that they have across all these different... You know whether it's sports and ESPN or or ABC things like that, that they have great content that is that reaches masses of people at all different economic levels, all different ages, and so on. And if they can create one single place for people to go get that content, that people will pay for it. If you if you you know what is it eighty five million people or something like that pay for Netflix now. Um, uh, so globally, yeah, I think that's around
2: the globe, but yeah
0: but but still they have and they have some pretty good content not all great content um and, but some some pretty good stuff and and so that was like the eye opening thing that he that he said to me and i think that by getting fox you get more of that content um and uh more things to justify people paying that that 10 dollars a month or whatever it's going to be um on this on this thing this this channel if you will that, that they're that they're going to build and so i think you know, if, if if Bob Iger has to pay an extra 20 billion for for it, you know he'll make it back in no time yeah. at all. I mean, don't forget every single uh, acquisition it's that he's true. done has 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 double, quadrupled, uh, or even more uh, the the amount of money he put into it.
2: Yeah, Pixar, Marvel. I mean, um, it's yeah. uh, it's an, it's an incredible uh, incredible run.
0: Um, all right, so uh, so let's uh, let's round off here. Um, it's uh, this last week felt like it was um, uh, it was a there was more news this week um, than I think was uh, during an entire term for previous presidents. Uh, do you think we'll get a little break next week, or do you think it's just gonna be back to the whole shit show? I think we'll get a just- break
2: in July in um, around July fourth. I think the president, will, you know, he's gonna start going to Bedminster more. Um, I can speak uh, from experience in New Jersey is very lovely this time of year. Uh he'll be coming in and out of Morristown Airport. Um a little fun fact. And I so that, that'll be a reprieve no Nick, I, I don't. I think actually the the president's strategy is um is is really like call Mikey sees it, burn it down, you know, th- there's very little infrastructure um around him. There was a fantastic line in a story that Andy Carney did in Politico earlier uh in the week. Um in which John Kelly basically said, he doesn't listen to me anymore. He does whatever he wants. I, you know, I, I just hope that he doesn't burn the country to the ground. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but it, it was really morose and and um, and uh, he sounded very browbeaten. So I I think that that Trump feels very affirmed by having these enablers like like Rudy Giuliani around him. And um, and part of me actually wonders if if uh, although he obviously was was uh, disgusting and egregious in his border. Um, you know quote unquote policy whatever you want to call it he's deflecting too you know a, a lot of this is part of one sort of incohate strategy to to distract people um uh from paying attention to to the mueller probe and and what's going on with michael Cohen in the southern district of new york and and i think that for for trump um the the, the political poison of of, uh, of imprisoning toddlers it could even be really a means to an end when it comes to um preventing impeachment
0: Oh, Jesus, nauseating. I, I'll say two things. One is, uh, before we wrap up, I, I always think about this quote I saw recently from Trump uh, in the 1980s where he he said, it's the Trump show all the time and it's the greatest show on earth. Uh, uh, this was actually Donald Trump quote. Uh, I wish the show would fucking end. Um, but the other thing I will say is, uh, just to wrap up, I... Um, I When I was in D.C., I, I had a little time to kill before a meeting I had at uh, the Senate uh, building, and I, I walked past the Capitol and the Supreme Court, and and I sat in the park across from the, the Capitol, and it was beautiful out. It was sunny and not too warm and breezy, and there was a, kids taking selfies and students and so on, and, and I looked up at these massive buildings, and I thought to myself, can these institutions survive Trump? And I really genuinely wonder this— and I and the thing that I come to the conclusion in, in the story uh, about Russia and what they're planning is is I think the only way that the institutions and America survives Trump and Russia and everything is if we can figure out how to get along better and argue better and not let social media and all these things and Trump um, make us hate each other. I really truly believe that is the only way that we win.
2: Well, I'll give peace a chance, Nick.
0: I will. <laughs> I will. I'm doing it right now. Uh, All right. I will uh, see you all next week. All right. Thanks, Nick. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Before we get to my thanks today, I'd like to take a break to have a nice, stiff drink of Buffalo Trace whiskey. It is the end of the day, after all. I'm going to put a couple of ice cubes in my glass, and I'm going to pour myself a little Buffalo Trace whiskey. Give it a good sniff. Ah, And then a drink. Mm. It's so delicious, so refreshing. You know, Buffalo Trace whiskey has that complex aroma of vanilla, mint, and molasses. It's so sweet. The taste and the notes of brown sugar and spice that give way to oak and toffee and dark fruit and anise. This is a whiskey that finishes long and smooth and has serious depth, and it is actually the perfect thing for the end of the day or the end of a podcast. Anyway, I'd like to thank my guests Emily Jane Fox, and of course, John Kelly. You know, the one thing I do love about Buffalo Trace whiskey is that I love it on the rocks, but other people like it neat. Some people like it in mixed drinks, like a Manhattan or an Old Fashioned. Some people just like to sit and smell it for a while and then down it in one big gulp. That's not me. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hype with Nick Bill. And you can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any way you get your podcasts. And do not forget to leave a glowing review while you're there. Did you know that bourbon is actually America's native spirit? It must be made in the United States with at least 51% of corn and aged in new char-oaked barrels. No additives or colorings allowed to be labeled Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. The spirit must be made in Kentucky and be aged a minimum of two years, just like Buffalo Trace Whiskey. Anyway, thanks to folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and my editors of Andy Fair. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Mattress Firm, One Blade, and, of course, Buffalo Trace Whiskey. Follow them all on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please support them all the same way you support this podcast. Before I let you go, I just wanted to point out – I'm not going to talk about whiskey again, even though that's all I would love to talk about. I wanted to point out that one of the reasons the immigration policy was actually changed this week is because people like you called your senators and your congresspeople and demanded action. And I've spent a lot of time in Washington recently, and believe it or not, it actually works. When you pick up that phone and call a congressperson, it gets logged, and and it really impacts their decision-making. Of course, not everyone, some Republicans or Democrats wouldn't change their mind for anything, but the people, a large majority of them, it actually does. You know, you were loud on social media, in the streets, people went to airports. Um, And don't forget, there are still 2,300 children out there without any idea where their parents are. And they're probably scared and alone. And that means this is not over. Keep calling your senators. Keep demanding that they return these kids to their loved ones. And on that note, I will see you all next week.